Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and today I'm welcoming Fred Anderson, and he just wrote a book. But Fred, it's great to hear from you. Yeah, I'm 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 happy to be here, Barbara. I'm I'm really, I'm I honestly I'm a little bit nervous as usual when I go and talk on podcasts and everything. I I can't really you know let that nervousness go really. So I'm but I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be here. Well. I don't want you to be nervous. Just kind of pretend that I'm in the other side of your kitchen and, and we're just talking. <laughs> and and that'll help because uh, I, I don't want anybody to be nervous. Can you tell folks what else it is you do? Because if I do it, I'll mangle it terribly. Of course, of course. Uh, since like 20 years back, I've been working with television, uh, mostly as a, at the beginning, mostly as a segment producer, you know, out there with a camera team and, and a microphone doing stuff as, you know, on, on many reality shows, you know, like Bachelor, for example, or Farman, which is a, a Swedish one where people live on a farm, something like that, you know, tons of that kind of stuff. Uh, and also some paranormal shows like uh, the Oshenda, which is the which was the longest running paranormal show in Sweden, 350 episodes. I did 50 of wow. them. And uh, later Spökjakt, which is uh, I, I don't want to brag, but it is the biggest paranormal success success ever here in Scandinavia. It's a more classical, you know, paranormal team investigates haunted buildings basically uh so but the last years like four or five years i've been almost you know only focusing on research and you know story producer kind of weaving together the stories that's about to be filmed uh on on in the tv shows but the research is i guess it's it's has become my passion uh, and you know it's a yeah, it's, it's, I, I, you know, I'm so happy I can do it and get paid for it. You know, really, I am. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I, yeah, I think that's the dream job for, at least for Morgana and I. We, we both are like, can, can we sit in the dusty stacks of the library, please? <laughs> <laughs> and, and read strange tomes? Can, may we? Oh. <laughs> uh, Good. That's that's excellent to hear. And and then when did you decide you were going to come out with this book called Northern Lights: High Strangeness in Sweden? Oh, it's a uh, it's kind of a, a long process, I guess. I I think I started to write it in to uh, 2021 actually. And that's I mean, honestly, after listening to a lot of podcasts like Somewhere in the Skies and Our Strange Skies and your podcast, of course, I, you know, I felt I need to I felt the need to start to write down Swedish stories and look into Swedish high strangeness. So at first I wrote a text for my Medium account about a UFO flap in Valentine 1974 and i i felt such joy doing that i felt such joy uh, reading books looking at newspapers even talking with witnesses uh, so i i wrote it it went quite well and i felt well this this is this is kind of my dream thing to do 
<laughs> you know, so it's it's uh, you know it's a it's just a natural progress, a, a a process from going from um, you know I, I I've been trying to no I have been self publishing books before this, uh, you know short stories and essays and similar things, but finally I think I found my my thing. Uh, where I, you know, I, I felt the love and passion come out. You know, I, I don't know if that's an answer, but that's how I feel. No, that's a perfect <laughs> answer. <laughs> <clears throat> so you had been doing some fiction publishing, um, and then you came to nonfiction, and that's where it really clicked for you, the, the research. And, and I like that you don't just retell the stories. Um, in this book, I really, really like that you have these witnesses that you've sought out and spoken with. Um, because, you know, once a story is published in a newspaper or a magazine or a book, other people pick it up like magpies because it's a shiny thing. And they put it in their book. And sometimes you get this telephone you know, game business that happens. One person adds one extra little tiny detail and then another person changes that and then and then it goes on and on. And I really like that even some of the, you know, older accounts, you went back and you talked with witnesses and got their, their story as they tell it now. Um, and you found that a lot of them were the same as the, you know, original story yeah the the stories in general hasn't changed at all you know there's some minor differences of course you know like with memory in general but i i did that and i also went back to the original report uh, that's in the possession of the ufo archive here in sweden archives for the unexplained uh, and and read uh, uh, the report that was written in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And sometimes that's, it's so different from what I've read in books or magazines afterwards, in, in Swedish ones, of course. Because, like you said, there is a, there is a, a, um, a degradation of details, or, or um, I don't know how to put it, but... The further you go, the the more simple the the stories become. Mm -hmm. You know, all the 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 little nuances, the little details, kind of just disappears. And especially when you when you read, you know, seventies uh, UFO magazines and and similar things in book, and you kind of you know it was very biased towards aliens. So. They kind of just cut away everything mm -hmm. that points in other, any other direction. So it was nice to go back yeah. to reports and you know do comparisons and but you know talk to these people. You know that's many of them are have passed away by now, but I managed to find those that was alive that I is alive and that I could find, and it was such a ple pleasure to talk with them. And to my surprise, because I'm a kind of um, <laughs> I'm kind of a nervous person. Uh, I, I have a, you know, I, I, I'm nervous, you know. But each time when I contacted them, they, they felt so much joy 
to talk about these things. They haven't talked about these things for years, many, many years. And suddenly yeah. this dude calls them and say, hello, you experienced something there in 1970. Can you, can you tell me about it? Uh, and that's kind of, it gives me power and self-confidence, you can say, to, to continue doing this. And the, the result is the book. <laughs> Yeah, and it's 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 a really good result. Okay, so I like when you when you say that this has given you confidence to continue with this kind of work, because it, first off, I think you've you've found your niche. I think you're right. It's it's a great place for you to be, and I think that you are helping people by letting them tell their stories again in a much more kind environment. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, it was harder, I think, to be an experiencer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, I mean, here's the thing with Sweden. Sweden is, I mean, has been known to be a quite let's say, rational country or a rational culture or second. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so how, how to describe it? Uh, but yeah, there, there, there is nowadays, I'd say, a, a, a more openness to the weird compared to before. I mean, and it's not like I'm, uh, as the author and researcher, try to put something in their stories. I just want to listen to them. I don't want to tell them that these are aliens or these are gnomes or this is, this is whatever. Uh, if you go back to those early days, there were often, I'd say, a very you know, strong thing that they went in, talked with the witnesses and, and basically told them that this is aliens. You saw a flying saucer. Um, uh, you know, you have, times have, have changed, absolutely, uh, but I, I, I also notice still that there is a, a stigma talking about this. I'm, 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 for example, I'm working with a TV show now, a documentary show about the UFO phenomenon, and those witnesses I've talked with there, everyone had told me that, please, we don't want to be made fun of. You know, we, yeah. yeah. And I told them, of course, that won't happen you know <laughs> this is we we just yeah. want to tell the, your story uh, to an audience and some of them you know they they agree to do this because they hope that someone else have seen something you know in in regards to this you know to their experience so they can get it kind of confirmed often there's more witnesses but they you know they're in their own little bubble, you know. There's a family who has seen something, or there's a husband and wife who have seen something, but they're kind of alone in this, in this experience. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's I'd say it's kind of up and down with the, with the, with the, with the, how how people see this here in, in here in Sweden at least. Yeah, I, you know. I've been seeing weird stuff since I was a kid. And when I was a, a kid, I kind of knew not to talk about it with just everybody. Um, and uh, 
I there is a stigma and there was a stigma in the United States and there still is, you know. I I before I decided to do this podcast, I had to come out to my therapist and say, "Okay, so sometimes I see things." And you know, because I had been told by uh, a a woman who was a few years older than me. So it was back when we were both teens. She was like, "Whatever you do, don't ever admit that you see or hear anything weird, okay? Because they will, you know, the the psychiatrists or psychologists will use it against you, and that's not really good. And I was like, okay. So I kind of adhered to that rule for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, you know, I'm 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 raised in what 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 was one once a very Christian family in a very conservative uh, environment, and as a boy being interested in these in this subject or, or this you know the weirdness of the world wasn't always seen as something good so it took me i mean even i'm not an experiencer i have seen some stuff uh, which we might mention i didn't even mention it in the book but, but uh, it took me so many years to break free from from that kind of internal shame to, to have a, a keen and serious interest in the subject of UFOs and the paranormal and the esoteric. Uh, I mean, even from, you know, people are so affected by the surroundings, by their family, by the elders in the, in the, in, in the church. Uh, so they kind of keep everything inside. They, they don't talk about it. That's, that's my experience from my point of view, at least. Yeah, it's and it's a totally valid experience. I know that if I had said anything to the people in the last church I went to, um, I left when I was fifteen. Um, they would have been like, "Up, oh, we need we need to heal you. We need to you know chase the devil out." Because, well, they believed the devil was you know behind anything that wasn't conforming to their beliefs. So yeah, that would have been ugly. You know, they thought feminists had the devil in them. So I can only imagine if they knew I had seen a UFO or something that just <laughs> it would have gone badly. <laughs> but I, 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 I got to give them that, that, that my experience from from, uh, you know, these re- religious communities is that there was so much weirdness going on, you know, uh, uh, speaking in tongues healing, uh, weird symbolism, you know, all those uh, odd things that, that you know, wasn't, it's not quite normal if I went outside and spent time with friends who weren't religious or Christian, they didn't know anything about this. Now, I always kept my distance as a kid. You know, I, I, I was quite skeptic, uh, skeptic as a kid. So I, I could study these things quite well, you know, even, you know, when I was 10, 11 years old. And I think that's kind of, it's, it's part part of me, a part of me that made me, i do it again here, sorry. I'd say that, I'd say that a part of me appreciate that experience because it, Kind of made me yeah. very curious on those weird things in life and 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 symbols and you know miracles, if you say so. You know, even if I necessarily didn't believe, but mm-hmm. 
they were there always, constantly. Uh, so yeah, I you know, but that's that's a long time ago. I'm an old man now, so. <laughs> I I think we're close in age, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I consider myself old too, but. Um, so another thing I appreciate about your book, I mean, there's lots of things to appreciate, but one of them is you give us a glimpse into the folklore and fairy lore and the lore of the others in Sweden, which in America, it's mostly Celtic stuff. It's mostly Ireland, Scotland, the Isle of Man, maybe Brittany, <laughs> down in France, maybe. Uh, something like that. You know, that's, that's, that's what we've heard about. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm raised with these stories. You know, I mentioned my, my father's uh, grandma, for example, who met a, a gnome, or Vette, as we call them in Swedish, this uh, little people with a pointy hat and beard, typical. And my, I mean, my mother always uh, told stories about giants, for example. Uh, I mean, we have these big boulders, these big rocks everywhere from the Ice Age. And my, every time we saw one, we were out walking in the forest and my mother, she told me, oh, there was a giant who threw it there, you know, uh, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even, I mean, even today, in, in, in this, mo this modern age, if you just go outside the big cities in Sweden, you'll, you're going to hear stories about gnomes or nature spirits, or they, they might not talk about it, you know, uh, unprovoked. You know, you have to ask, you have to ask around, and you'll hear stuff that is truly, truly amazing. So it's, it's, it's a culture that is so much alive here. And it's quite scary also. I mean, Vettar, the gnomes, are cheeky little bastards. You know, you really have to be careful with them. You really have to, you know, because they basically own, if you live on a farm and you have these uh, gnomes there, they basically own the farm, so you need to treat them well. Uh, I, I heard a story just a couple of weeks ago from an old man who... who told me that his father met a gnome on, his, uh, uh, on, on the yard, on his farm once, and, uh, and uh, the, the gnome were a bit angry, you can say, because they placed the horse in the barn right above uh, their living quarters. So, the, the, yeah, so when the horse were, was, you know, peeing, you know, it was pissing, it, yeah. you know, came all the way down to, to the gnome. So they had to move the horse, and, you know, everything was fine again. Stories like that everywhere uh, personally i think the scariest one which to, even today when i'm out in forests is the the i guess you can the, the forest maiden you can say she have like a, mm. either an, an, like a hole in the back or the back is made of of bark of wood basically and she seduces you and uh, takes you into the forest and you either goes crazy or disappears uh, or you have Nick and the, the guy playing violin, for example, in the, in the water. And, the, and the, the horse version of him, which lures kids into the water and drown them. You know, this, I, I love the kind of macabre stuff around these stories. Yeah, 
I, I, and I think in Norway, the forest maiden is the Holdra, Holdra, yeah. something like that. And she often has a cow tail and then that hollow in her back, uh, that, you know, cause in, in a lot of the English, Irish and Scottish stories, there's a, there's always a little defect with the other people that you can kind of tell, oh, wait a minute. I'm not talking with a human, you know, some of them have goat hooves or in Germany, they have goose feet or a goose foot, a single one. Um, and so, it, yeah, the, the cow tail, but you know, that's behind her. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it can be fairly easily hidden. Um, and I do like that there, there is still the sense of danger in um, the Swedish stories. Uh, because the 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 English, Irish, and Scottish stories here in America are they've kind of been watered down. So you know everybody's like fairies are cute, and okay, they could be they could be cute, but that doesn't mean that they act cute. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that your your little gnome guys are kind of cute, but they don't necessarily act cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. We have, uh, I mean, uh, uh, I have a, a good friend, Jimmy, who I have a podcast with here in Sweden. His uh, family is from a specific area in Sweden uh, where they have stories about trolls. Uh, they say trolls, I kind of see them more as gnomes there. Uh, but there is, there is, uh, the, there's ruins left of one farm which had to be abandoned because the trolls were so aggressive against the humans there. So they had to, they had to move away from the farm. This was many years ago, of course. But he, um, he had a friend of the family who was out hunting in, in, this, in this forest, in this area. And he, you know, very rational man. And he came back shocked because he had seen a small troll lady you can say as a, a small woman you know with with a wrinkly face i guess you know walking over some field you know out in nowhere and and he was like what the heck you know uh, so yeah they're yeah. still there <laughs> yeah and i i love that you mentioned the trolls um and and in your book you mentioned they're not all giant ugly stupid things you know, because that is how we think of them in um, the United States, unless we're a member of one of the the Northern Reconstruction religious movements. Uh, so uh, the reason I like that is because my husband's pet name for me is Troll Wife, because there are stories about troll wives who come down from the mountains and the, the first time somebody heard him say that, that wasn't me, they were like, Oh my God, <laughs> that's terrible. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He means I'm powerful and, uh, wise because the trolls knew things and I keep secrets well, and I'm magical and I have a bad temper sometimes. And so, you know, and I'm very protective of the forest and of wildlife and of animals. And that's one of those things that'll, you know, kindle my, my temper. And, and they were like, okay, okay, okay. But trolls are so ugly. I'm like, you know, not necessarily, <laughs> you know, and that does. And besides, even if 
I'm not worried about it. You shouldn't worry about it either. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. I, so now you know my secret. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, trolls are basically shapeshifters. They can be a lot of things. They can be owls or they can be cats. But I mean, the, the earliest accounts of trolls were beautiful people, you know, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. With gold and expensive clothes, the at least the the at least the the Swedish perception of trolls basically changed when John Bauer, who was a fantastic artist in the, in the beginning of the twentieth century, uh, and he began to draw trolls as you know these big ugly creatures. And I mean, th- these paintings are fantastic. They're, I mean, he was a master, but those became so beloved here in Sweden. So we only see these big, ugly trolls. I'm not entirely sure uh, how the Norwegian trolls have, for example, have uh, evolved during the years. I mean, we have the movie Troll Hunter, and I think they have a slightly different view, the bigger, larger, more violent trolls. But here in Sweden, there were kind of cute ones up at a time. Yeah, yeah. And 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 again, that's a that's just a, a regional thing. And then, you know, here in America, we, we get like a little tiny part of the stories. And so we we assume that all trolls are this way, all trolls are that way, um, all fairies with wings are nice, and you know all that I, weird ideas. When when <laughs> thinking about it, I think my my why I kind of turned into this subject with this book was because it, because at the end of the chapter about the Valentina UFO flap in 1974, that was the first text I wrote, the one I published on Medium, uh, the witness, Hillary, mentioned to me, and it's not so well known, that the spot where she saw the UFO, where the UFO was hovering and there were beams and her family got scared to death, that's what's... Ex- was the exact same spot where she had a near-death experience as a child. And she had fallen into this quarry. It was a water-filled quarry. And there she kind of saw these etheric beings, you know, around her. That's her her memory of it, at least she was a child. And that, you know, gave me an idea to look into this more, the more folklore aspect, the more you know, non-ET aspect of these stories because I'm I'm not a I'm I'm fine with ET hypothesis. How do you say it in English? Hypothesis. Hypothesis. <laughs> it's not an yeah, easy I, word. Don't worry about it. It's a very it. difficult word. Uh, uh, but I've always been more attracted to you know to the other thing, the the dimensional thing, to the the, the spirit thing, to the consciousness thing, uh, which m- might be pretty clear when, when one read the book, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and and your views and mine are pretty much parallel. They they're the same basic idea. Um, and and I'm I love folklore um, and spirit lore and all of that stuff. I've I've read that as much as I've read uh, UFO stuff. I kind of started reading them both at the same time. So, yeah, none of that is, is, you know, bothersome to me. And, in fact, if people start, you know, telling me they know exactly what UFOs are, that they are not only from alien 
planets, but they're from this specific planet in this specific star system. And the, yeah, <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I'm like, okay, yeah. all right. And I'll still listen to them. I'm polite. You know, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. Uh -huh. For all I know, that's what the aliens told them. <laughs> I don't. That's that's between you and your aliens, people. I don't, you know, but I'm not going to, you know, join up with your belief system because I, I just don't. Um, you you do a lot with uh, UFO sightings that, you know, looking at it, they sound like the typical metallic UFOs um solid looking and some of them like the the one you just mentioned scare people to death uh there was the contactee um he was the one who was you know sort of followed by a ufo and then pulled out of his car yeah, on the and and yeah, Anta, he and beaten up and <laughs> all this horrible stuff. And what I thought was interesting was he gradually grew as a contactee to have a positive view of it. Yeah, for him, this. Uh, I mean, I, I. I mean, he passed away by now. Uh, but I know from. I mean, I have friends who have interviewed him and talked with him a lot. And for him, this was only a positive experience. It made him a happier more chill person basically for him this was a for him this was an adventure this was a, this was something that uh, made his life special you can say he he never really bragged mm -hmm. about it i mean it's a little bit light to say that he never talked about it but he never you know deliberately made money or you know held very very few public talks about it he kind of kept to himself and he received these gifts from the aliens or whatever it was uh, sometimes it could be machines technical equipment which he never showed to anyone of course he could also get polished stones quite beautiful some of them are, are still there uh, there is there's they still exist uh, so for him this was a it was a good thing, and I'm so happy to see that because in I'd say that most other contactees in Sweden gradually became more destructive or it became darker, more, um, uh, yeah, more, more, more dark in general, you know. Many of them weren't happy. Uh, we have a... I, 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 don't, I don't think I mention it in the book because this, the story, the case is so complicated it's the case of Richard Höglund who who was a contactee from the 60s up to the late 70s when he passed away and for him this just created a deep sense of paranoia and 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 dread basically it, it destroyed his economy it, it destroyed his friendships uh, which is a pity because the stories he told and claimed to have experienced are absolutely one of the most, in, no, I almost used the word insane, but I don't want to use that word. One of the more spectacular contactee stories I've ever encountered, but it's way too complicated to go into here and now. Uh, I mean, there's books written about him. Yeah. Yeah. I also like in the chapter where you talk about um, 
it's chapter 10, Ante's uh, experience. You also talk about this couple, um, and I'm probably going to, you know, destroy their names, and you can correct me afterwards, please. N uh, Store and Torrid. Yes. yes. Um, I love those names, by the way. That's they just sound they just sound great. I I have a weird thing with words where some words just sound musical to my ears, and I really like them. And those are two words that I like. So they they went to a UFO ufological society meeting or several, and and they heard these lectures, and then afterwards, strange things started to happen, and uh, they had mental messages to go to a certain place out in the wilds and they would experience these beautiful things. Yeah. <laughs> At least from the beginning. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you talk a little bit about that? Because it's a really great uh, juxtaposition with Auntie's, uh experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, this couple, especially Sture, became... After this main event, which I mentioned in the book, he, he became also, you can say, a contactee, or he, he, um, what's the English word for it? You channel, you channel messages, mm -hmm. some entity. So they went out to this spot out in the nature. I found it on a map. I haven't been there myself yet, but one day I will go there at a proper time and see if something happens. So they went out there to meditate. I have no idea if they did something else like smoke weed. I have, you know, it was the seventies, but they went out to to meditate, and they did this for a year or so uh, until they got a message again through telephone or mental. It depends on where you read the read about it. That said, that something is going on. So they okay, we we'll go out there again. One, you know, we go out, chill out like we've done before. And they're sitting in the car, and suddenly they see, uh, I don't remember now how many creatures there were, uh, I mean, like maybe 10, 12 or, or less. Uh, yeah, it was something yeah. like 10 or yeah, 12. Yeah, small, short beings with big heads and red eyes uh, getting closer to the car from a, from a field, you know, just beside the road where they were, had uh, parked the car. And uh, these beings were, they kind of attacked the car, you know, the car was shaking, the, the, the radio equipment were, you know, there were interference and, and, you know, music started on the radio. It was like chaos and they had to hide, hide inside the car for a couple of hours because they were so scared uh, from what was happening outside. Um, uh, so... Sooner or later, you know, it, it ended, uh, it calmed down, and they went home, went home and they, they never went out there again because they were so scared of what happened. And something changed, yeah. something changed in them after this. And it was also mm -hmm. the years after this that Sture especially started to get this, this, these messages from, from this entity. It was some ancient Egyptian spirit. Uh, now I don't remember the name of it. Uh, he claimed to be an ancient Egyptian spirit, at least. 
Uh, they always yeah, they do. Always, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he kind of, I don't want to use the word capitalized on it, but he did and became quite a big star in this field, uh, you know, up at least until the 80s or early 90s. Shona uh, uh, McLean were one of her, his clients, for example, and his she did a movie, uh, a TV movie, I think, or a miniseries about her life, and he's he's actually in it uh, as himself. Uh, I, I I find it, this story is incredibly fascinating, uh, just because it kind of went from they going to those ET alien meetings and experience something that's so drastically different, so esoteric so you know it was more I, i'd say it was more a psychic experience somehow um i also feels that the story itself the experience itself feels a lot like you know swedish folklore with either gnomes or fairies or other nature spirits or or or, or similar similar things but just they just took the 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 shape of aliens with big heads and red eyes you know but who knows what aliens look like of course uh, but but well, they're, yeah. they're uh, they're an incredibly fascinating couple and there's i mean at least if you're here in sweden there's tons to read about them but just this experience is less talked about is less mentioned because most people focus more on his channeling stuff in 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 later years uh well i would love to go there you know at at uh, you know in the evening and sit down and just absorb the atmosphere out there and see i don't expect expect anything to happen but you know i want to be there i really want to be there it's really interesting that that the night that that happened, they had gone on October 29th. So you're just a few days to, you know, All Hallows Eve, Halloween, uh, Samhain, you know, all of the all of the names of the dark, you know, where the, the year turns to the darker part of the year. Um, and spirits are said to wander the earth more easily the the uh partition between our world and theirs thins and they can you know slip their little red-eyed big-headed <laughs> creepy uh, <laughs> you know little persons into our world and mess with people mm -hmm. um i mean also nice spirits can do that too but apparently they got they they got the the you know naughty ones that aren't very friendly yeah they, or maybe they thought they were being friendly i don't know well they they learned a lesson from it for sure you know um uh, yeah. Uh, but being, yeah yeah but very fascinating story and i i it was a very late addition to the book actually i i i was reading the book and felt that you know i need a i need something extra in this chapter and i came to think about uh uh, student and Turid and their experience, and I kind of think it fit together very good with Antes, uh, Antes uh, experience. Oh yeah, I I thought that was a perfect juxtaposition because, you know, and you tie it together with uh, Doctor Valet's um, ideas from Messengers of Deception, UFO contacts and cults, uh, which is a great book. People, by the way, you need to read it. 
um, and and he talked about uh, how people who are easily manipulated can be uh, contacted by these esoteric beings and and cause all kinds of chaos and and that's exactly what happened to that 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 nice couple oh, yeah. um, they, they got lots of chaos <laughs> and, but at the same time anta had chaos from the beginning right he's he's like you know he almost runs into a ufo that's shaped like a submarine <laughs> and then you know his doors yanked open of his car and he's dragged out and you know, pummeled about and, and yeah. So that's just a really interesting thing, but eventually it calmed down and, and he began to see it as a positive thing. Um, sometimes it just, it, it doesn't start out positive, but it ends up that way. And sometimes it starts out all positive and nice. And then, well, mm -hmm. it goes downhill. And I really like that you didn't, you know, make it sound like, well, if it starts out badly, then it'll end up nicely, you know, always, you know, because that's not always how it works. I mean, that's how Whitley Strieber has come to look at it. You know, if you read Communion, which is still a horrifying book, um, you're like, dude, get out of that house. Like, don't go back. Why are you going back? You know, <laughs> I'm so, the first time I read it, I talked to him, you know, I was like, dude, get out of there. Take your kid and go. Don't leave your kid there. What's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> run away. Uh, but now he sees it as a more positive thing. So it doesn't always work that way. No, sometimes it works the opposite. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there's anything to this, but I mean, if if you make a comparison uh, with these two these two cases, I mean, Stura and Turid were seekers. You know, they were always constantly searching for something. They, 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 they went to these meetings. They really wanted to, to have experiences, to connect to something. With Ante, he was like a normal dude. You know, he, he yeah. was like, he had, he, before his, his, uh, his, uh, his experience, he had, you know, he had showed um pictures from some uh, photos from some vacation to his friends they were probably you know sitting at home chilling there were nothing about the paranormal or ufos he, it was so normal swedish uh normal swedish as you can find basically while turin and yeah. student and turid were more you know they were way out there, you know, they kind of, maybe, I don't want to say anything like that, you know, maybe it was kind of a lesson for them to, you know, chill a bit, you know, you know, now mm -hmm. you've been digging too hard into this, just try to back off a little bit. I, but I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I don't want to, I don't want to judge anyone, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, no, I can, I can see that though. Um, Generally, if you seek spirit contact, I'll just use that as, as a sort of overall term. And if you seek spirit contact, you're gonna have something weird happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it may not be what you think it is because you're basically, I had a friend who once said that if you seek out these kinds of things, you are putting 
it's like when you wreck your car and you you put a flare up so people can find you you know you know you, you you've fallen down into the abyss on the side of the road and your car's stuck in between two tree trunks and you shoot a flare up into the air so your rescuers can can find you and he said she said that that's what people do when they concentrate on having contacts they're basically putting a a, a light over themselves and saying come here and but they're not making a a a filter for that light that says something to the effect of only the nice ones come here they just put a light up and what you get is what you get and then they get surprised when you know something nasty shows up and you know auntie he was just driving home that's all he was he wasn't putting a flare up or anything he wasn't asking he just he just was driving along and i don't know whoever was in that uh submarine that flies through the air was just intent upon picking on someone and and picked him out because he was there you know i mean that's not necessarily how it happened but that sounds like how it happened you know there's an extra layer of weirdness to to auntie's uh, experience i mean first of all that there was another witness to it as i mentioned in the book but they never Mm -hmm. which is odd really really odd and and kind of makes it even more convincing in in my eyes that Someone else mm-hmm. saw something and they were kind of scared by it. They just decided to d- drive past the uh, aunt and, and call the police. Uh, but there's another detail which I didn't bring up in the book. And I'm not sure I should mention it, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, he passed away a number of years ago and he was living in a uh, retirement home. And... After he passed away, his family came by to get his stuff. You know, he had tons of notes and, you know, papers from, you know, written down from all his experiences. And when they arrived to the retirement home, the staff were very, very surprised because they said that two men in suits had already been there and told them that they were his family and grabbed all his stuff. So, <laughs> oh wow! We, yeah, and th- this is this is uh, this this is not a rumor. I mean, this is this uh, this is you know truly investigated. This is basically Men in Black was there <laughs> getting his stuff. Uh, That's wow! Yeah, um, but I didn't mention it in the book because I, I have a friend who's uh, who's very deep into this case, and he's he will probably write about this more. You know you know, with more details. Yes, right. I don't want to take that from him in any way. But I, I think it's okay I mention it here. I find that just, uh, the, what do you say? The icing on the cake? The, the, here, the cherry on the cake? Yes. Yeah, it's like, all right, something was going on. <laughs> something was happening. Yeah, that's the, the men in black. As soon as you have two guys in suits, I'm like, well, there we are. <laughs> they're, they, they're coming. There they are. Here they come. Jeez, yeah, <laughs> like woo. Um, I mm, that's that's a thing. I, I, the Men in Black creep me out because I'm I'm sure that I know that that there are some 
stories that are embellished or there are some story, but you have people from a, a, a funeral or not a funeral home, an, a, a, a uh, retirement home saying, Oh, Oh, well you've already picked their stuff up. You know, somebody, you know, some of your cousins have been here. <laughs> it's like, mm, everybody has cousins that wear suits <laughs> yeah. and go picking up weird notes and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to warn my uh, my kids. It's like, okay, don't don't let, you know. Don't don't let the the suits grab my stuff <laughs> because that'll be terrible. Uh, another thing that I loved is you were talking about how we always have to guard against our own misperceptions of reality. And you were talking about driving along and you saw someone like next to the road or in the road who was bending over and sort of standing up and shuffling along and you all you were like what is happening and it turned out to be this this lady i call her the snail lady because she was plucking snails off of the wet road i assume so that they don't get run over yeah, no I, that that's my assumption um and, and it just killed me i'm like that's the kind of thing that you know i would drive past and be like why is that lady picking snails off the road <laughs> and then i'd realize she's just like you picking turtles up and you know moving them across the road in the direction they're going that's no weirder than you you've probably scared people and it's like okay <laughs> that was that was an oddly scary eerie experience actually you know we were walking home very very late at night and we could see her shadow her silhouette under the lamp posts doing the mm -hmm. walking and i uh, maybe even the, it, it had been raining it was a little bit wet so it was like it had this etheric feeling somehow it felt really like we were looking at something otherworldly until we came closer and it was sheep picking up snails uh, yeah absolutely i mean we had no reference points at that time oddly enough you know yeah. we were like totally open for anything you know we've been out walking in the fields at night you know you, you get in a special feeling a special mood so everything seems more magical and and uh, and otherworldly and so this woman so i'm i'm very grateful for this woman that she showed up there and and behaved like that because it it taught me a little lesson to to uh, watch my own perception of things uh, not necessarily watch me because i i appreciate these kind of things but it also tells me that you can basically see what you want to see. So if you want to see something supernatural mm -hmm. or otherworldly, you will see it. Uh, I've I've seen weird stuff myself. You know things that I I couldn't I can't explain. Um, I this was actually I, can I tell this short story? It's not mentioned in the book. Sure. Yeah. Sure. This was go, pretty, go yeah, it, it was pretty close to this area um, where we saw the snail lady. And we were like four or five people out barbecuing next to a field. Uh, uh, you know, it was very dark. The fire was burning bright. And we noticed out on the field there was a, a ring of light. I don't know how to, you know, like a perfect circle out in the field there was no lamps you know it was just a 
on the ground was a, a, a big circle of light. And, <laughs> and the odd thing, we, we stood and watched it and we were barbecuing quite close to it. The weird thing is that all of us had cameras. No one took a photo of that thing at all. I have photos from the same evening. All of those photos are are cropped exactly so we don't see the circle. There, you know, it's like it's strange. I was ob obviously there taking photos, but I was like kind of focusing just on the side of it. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I was actually out today, uh, early today, to visit this field. Uh, I don't know if it helped anything. It was years ago this happened because I wanted to go and, and, and stand on the same spot where I saw this circle uh, just to kind of understand what it was that I saw. But once again, the odd thing that everyone, I was quite interested, my husband was quite interested, but the rest were like, whatever. And we're like, it's a circle of light on a field <laughs> out yeah. in nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the people. Go, I don't know. What is Who cares? I'm hungry. Let's finish yeah. cooking. <laughs> so yeah, that that's. Um, I kind of always forget about that that experience, you know, for some reason. But it, it's there and it happened. I and I have absolutely no idea what it was. Uh, so uh, I have no idea why I started talking about this. But anyway, now you heard it. <laughs> Okay, well, that's because I'm all into anomalous ah. lights, so that's why you ah, told me. Cool. Uh, what color was it? It was uh, quite white, what I remember. White, uh, whitish, mm -hmm. I'd say. It wasn't. I don't remember at least something, you know, yellow or it. It, it just, it just looked weird because there were like, in, if it, you know, imagine a big flashlight from the sky, you know, going down and you know. You know, mm -hmm. but you didn't see the beam itself. It was just a circle of light. Yeah, yep. I have no. I understand that. I, <laughs> I, to be honest, I've been trying to find information about this and the other similar experiences, but I haven't been able. So, if you know anything, please let me know. Oh, I, I've got, I've got notes like sixty pages of notes from multiple books and other sources, plus more notes from flying saucer review and um i i haven't finished all of the book research yet but that's the the anomalous light that just sort of you know appears and then hangs out and you have multiple witnesses of it yeah i've experienced that myself my friends and i have uh, this was in the 90s, so we didn't carry cameras around. We didn't have, you know, camera phones and iPhones and all that stuff. So we never took photographs of it because, you know, you, you have to put the camera in, you know, film in the camera, carry the camera around. And we just never had the cameras with us, so we never took photographs. We also thought that it was somehow not really there, mm -hmm. like we were just seeing it. And that a camera lens wouldn't pick it up All right, yeah. and transfer it to film. Now I know that we probably would have gotten some of the photographs because I have taken photographs with my phone a couple of times. Uh, it doesn't prove anything, mind you. Uh, it just proves to me that there's actually light yeah, there, yeah. that there is physical 
photons actually out there doing light things, but they still don't act like light. They don't follow the, the laws of physics for light that we know mm -hmm. of. Well, I, so, yeah, I will write this down, you know, because I've never really written it down. Uh, and uh, and even include the photos I took there, uh, which doesn't show anything. It just shows a couple of guys around the fire, basically. Uh, but uh, it's it's good because uh, I mean I know exactly when it was taken. I know the exact spot, everything you know according to the data in the file. So I'm I'm something was there for sure. Yeah, yeah, I. I also find it interesting that you had a camera and you neglected to photograph it. One, that has happened to me. Don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel bad at all. Uh, the very first structured UFO I saw, I had a camera in my hand with film in it. I had been carrying it around, taking pictures of, of people's pets, and I didn't take a picture. I couldn't because my brain was slamming into my forehead going, that's that's a UFO. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's not a plane. That's not a blimp. That's not a this. It's not a that. That's a, I don't know what it is. And it's right in front of me and I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was, I wasn't thinking about taking a picture. Um, so you might not have been thinking about it either. But the other thing that I have noticed with people is they're taking other pictures, but they don't think to take a picture of whatever that yeah, is. Yeah. Just like here, it's truly bizarre. Really, I, I'm, I'm to, to this day. I'm surprised, you know, because I love taking photos. I love taking photos of everything I see. You know, I'm one of those people that I, if I see a funny mushroom in the forest, I need to take a photo of it. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Here, here it was just oh, it's just a, a ring of light. Okay, no, I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, please write that down yeah. for me because I a lot of what I want to put in this book that I'm working on is non not published experiences. Yeah. So there's so many published ones though. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh so okay, so you've seen a light. That is fascinating. Another thing that I really enjoy about your book I mean, there's so much, there's so much to enjoy, uh, is that you don't shy away from the extremely weird cases, like the bicyclist who was on his way to work <laughs> and he sees this dude with square eyes, um, who, who was just all kinds of odd. Um, I don't even know how to describe him, but what he reminds me of is the description, the children in the Sandown Sam case in England in the 70s had with this creature who said that his name was Sam. Uh, it, but he's weird too. He had, you know, like weird shaped eyes and a triangle for a nose and sticks for fingers and yeah, yeah. all kinds of strange. And that's how I felt about that bicyclist. I was like, man. Yeah, and imagine that, you're bicycling to work, you know, early in the morning. It's just another day in life, and suddenly you see this weird, kind of robotic creature, you know, you mm -hmm. know, stumbling against you. Uh, obviously, 
you know, all, you know, kind of seeking contact, you know, because it was getting close. It was like a, it had a goal to meet this man. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, the man wants to stay anonymous, so I've never had the experience to talk directly with him, but I've, I've checked the location itself, and the location is like, it's in the middle of, of you know, there's houses everywhere. It's like a very, very normal street or bicycle road in a small Swedish town or smallish Swedish town. And it's like such an unlikely place for this event to happen also, because... I mean, to be fair, most of the cases in this book, they're they're far out on the countryside or on on countryside roads or on fields mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But this one is like in in uh, in Växjö, and Växjö is like the most normal town in Sweden. Uh, so I, I I appreciate it extra much just because it happens there and not somewhere else. You know, um, those who have talked with the with the man say that his perfectly normal dude once again you know he's he he didn't expect this to happen he didn't have any you know interest in the subject but obviously something decided to show itself to him and it's so weird yeah and i totally agree with with sam it's a it's like they're related kind of mhm yeah that that there is this category of other that is indescribable and somewhat robotic <laughs> and vaguely humanoid because you know they have the the shape you know head two arms two legs but not i mean you can't look at that and go oh that's just a person <laughs> you go oh what is you know what is going on there you know is he wearing weird goggles <laughs> you know that's and, and he's on a bicycle like can this thing overtake me yes, on my yeah, bike <laughs> you know you don't have a car around you to protect you <laughs> it's like mm. yeah and and minding his own business that's the other thing he was just trying to go to yeah, work yeah yeah and he, he was even bicycling a bit slower because he didn't want to get to work too fast <laughs> which i, I, I like mm-hmm. that detail somehow he was just chilling yeah. on his bike you know i'm not gonna rush it i'm gonna be there you know in time but not too early uh i also like that he he brings up uh, because he speculates a little bit that he he brings up a comparison with an angel uh which which yes. is like what yes. yeah but i'm fine with that if if but it's a weird angel but yeah angels are weird oh yeah, yeah of course yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, he didn't see wheels within wheels with eyes and fire. <laughs> <laughs> but but his description is about as weird as some of those descriptions. You know, it had four faces, one of a man and three of three different animals <laughs> and 100 wings and flame coming out of the feathers. And, you know, because those descriptions are really, really Extra. Oh yeah, <laughs> those those and there that is the reason why they say, "Oh, fear not," because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know anybody sane looking at that would be like, Mm-mm, <laughs> "No, that's bad. That's so bad." And you also talked about a person that I think a not a lot of ufologists are going to talk about, and that's uh, Emmanuel Swedenborg. Yeah. Um, I knew about him because I read his book when I was really young, 
uh, because it was in the library and it was in the section of books that I was, you know, plowing through. So I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then I found out, you know, in the 18th century, he was going to other planets. And I was like, ah, <laughs> this is cool. You know? I was like, oh, this is my stuff. <laughs> so talk a little bit about him because he's very interesting. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, uh, I'm, I must admit I'm not an expert on him, but I do enjoy his his uh, uh, Earth, in the, Earth in the universe. It's a bit complicated written, of course, because it's written a long, long time ago. Uh, I I appreciate that he seems to have such an open mind about beings in other worlds. Uh, I think he describes, I don't remember which planet it is, he describes them as they're walking around naked, for example. So it seems very, very Mm -hmm. relaxed with with how, how they live. And it also seems to be humans everywhere, basically, or very, yeah. very, very similar to humans. Like, it's different versions of the Earth or, or, or similar things. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by the guy, uh, um, I, but I must admit, I never... I just looked basically into these early uh, channelings and his, which I consider to be some kind of early, you know, some early contactee thing. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's actually buried not far from where I live. I mean, I have to go twenty minutes by train, and I will uh, I check out his grave from time to time to say hello uh, because he's, he's uh, buried in the Uppsala Cathedral, um, uh, not far from here. Um, so, I don't know what more really I have to say about Svenneboy, uh, except that I'm fascinated by the guy, but I also feel that I need to uh, paint myself a, a, a broader, more detailed view of him and his work outside this, this channeling stuff and other worlds and possible aliens. Yeah, he's he's just one of those, you know late 18th century interesting people uh uh william blake is is one of my favorite visionaries ever um and he was a people know he wrote poetry but they don't necessarily know that he was an artist and a printmaker um he he designed books and uh he had visions like he he straight up had visions of strange things and i love those two together Mm -hmm. i think blake was mostly active in the early 19th century um emmanuel was was more active in the late 18th century but they're almost contemporaries and there are similarities in their work Mm -hmm. anyway uh, so I just I just love that you know he showed up in your book in the contactee section. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, that's one of my boys. <laughs> he's, he's actually buried quite close to Olof Rudbeck, who, who was an interesting fella. He he put forth the theory that Atlantis was here in Sweden, uh, uh, in the same area as Svenneborg is is buried. So uh, outside of Uppsala, you have these big gray mounds. It's a fantastic place. It's so powerful. And according according to Rudbeck, that's where this that was the center of Atlantis, basically. 
for some reason, uh, I, I, I um, yeah, if if he if he liked that, I'm fine with that, you know. But I, I'm, I think it's so cool that Atlantis is not far away from where I live either, you know. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I didn't know that Atlantis was there. That's that's you know. extremely yeah. cool. Yep. Yeah, the more you know, the I mean, I know I also know Atlantis is in a bunch of other places too, because I have been told that. But I still think, I still think it's cool that you know somebody thinks it's up in Sweden. That, that's neat. Yeah, I, I again, I, I, I'm into the I'm into the really neat stuff and and usually obscure. So you're you're bringing me the good. I'm I'm all for these kind of stories, and I'm. I mean, I, I admire guys like Rudbeck. Maybe he was an asshole, for real. I have no idea. But just the idea he had that Atlantis was in his neighborhood. And he, he, he spun that story. He wrote about it. He, he tried to find evidence for it. I'm not sure he succeeded in that. But just that he did it. You know, in, 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 in Sweden during, uh, you know, an age where... where People were, you know, uh, basically very, very religious and conservatives. And here he comes with Atlantis, of all things, which is kind of wacko considering the, the times, at least. Um, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I, oh, you know, we have so much places like that uh, around Sweden. And, uh, you know, we have giants uh, buried in, in grave mounds. We have ancient stone ships and triangles and all of these places are filled with stories and legends. And I'm, I'm happy that man, mankind has such an imagination uh, to, to, to deal with these things. Uh, it's the same with giants, basically. You know, they put whale bones in churches and said that these are the bones of giants, so they would teach their 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 um, their members that you know you know even the giants they fell for for the church you know uh, yeah mm -hmm. stuff like that you know yeah it's so much of it. Oh, and of course it's it's just like perfect because you have the scriptural, and in that and in and in those days there were giants. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that and then you can just you know talk about David and Goliath. You can go right oh, in yeah. there and you know and talk about no matter how big this preacher was, this person was, uh, he fell before the power of God that was in a rock <laughs> that, that David flung at him. Uh, so yeah, I, I I do get that whole idea of I think whalebone churches are just cool because there's whalebones in there. <laughs> yes. You know, that's just we don't have that in the United States. We do not have anything that poetic and cool. Um, we have our own, you know, things that are that are weird, but whalebone churches are just <laughs> putting that in the architecture is just yeah, amazing. It to looks me. beautiful, oh, cool. Uh, it, it, okay, I was gonna. What was? Oh yeah. So your last chapter. I don't want to go into it too much because that's your that's your uh, where you synthesize everything. But I really like one of the things that you say, and so I'm gonna bring it up. Um, the phenomena, all of it, is a part of us. It wants to be seen. 
It wants us to react and respond like a naughty child craving the cookie jar on the top shelf. It is as puzzling as it is fascinating since despite all observations I know of, there is no certainty about their very nature. On the other hand, there's overwhelming material pointing to their legendary or mythological aspect. So I love that. That that's, you know, to me, that's worth the price of, of admission. And it's, you know, almost the last page of the book. So it that's, to me, that's your thesis statement in a yeah, way. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit, expand on it, you know, how you came to that perspective. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I have, do you know which, which page is on? I need to see it in front of me here. Okay, yeah. hold on. I will get yeah. it for you. Da, da, da. Uh, okay. It's in the chapter, which I like the title of, The Stigma Within the Stigma. It's on page 150. Mm -hmm. 150. Almost at the bottom of the page. Yeah. Oh, here. Sorry, I was reading that. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I, I think the phenomena is important to us uh, in a way that it makes us kind of move forward. Um, we, we might not know what it is, but it, it triggers something in us, in us. And I mentioned the curiosity, which I think curiosity to me is what have driven mankind both in both good and bad ways uh, over the years. But, I mean, I, I think it's kind of, maybe I'm a bit harsh here, but it's kind of pointless to try to find um, a meaning with it. Uh, I think it's more uh, uh, something, uh, a cipher, a cipher. Uh, that's you know it's like the it's like the Voynich manuscript you know it's you know it's, mm -hmm. it's could probably be just nonsense but we will never know that but we're still it still makes us so curious and you know you see year after year people are trying to solve it to go deeper into it and some claim to have solved it some say no 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 that's bullshit. And I, I don't think the meaning is that we should solve it, but we should, we should experience it. We should take it with us, kind of, you know. Um, I see the phenomenon very much like symbols at work, and we will never, probably never understand these symbols. Um, I... I you know, to me, I'm, I'm not frustrated. I'm, I, I'm, ne I'm never going to be frustrated that because I know, personally, I know that I will never get an answer to any of this. And it's not really important to me to get an answer. Uh, what's important for me is that this will 
kind of it will make me more curious it will make me explore more it will make me see things that maybe you know affect me in some way uh good or bad it's oh it's i'm sorry you know it's so abstract uh to me i don't know if this makes sense um uh, i i i just see it as it's a a lovely game of hide and seek and you <laughs> might never find that ufo or that hiding place or that gnome it's the it's the adventure of trying to find it that's the point with it you know you have the old cliche it's the it's the journey that it's the goal not the goal itself uh I mean, mm-hmm. if you ever, if you have both played hide and seek, and I mean, the most exciting things with playing hide and seek, it's is 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 the seeking part. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you you don't know what to expect around the corner. You don't know what's in the closet or behind the sofa, uh, and then you find the person you're looking for, and yep, that's it. The game is over. You know, that's that's not the in in my view that's not the fun part of it to find it my to me it's it's the it's the search that's the most mm-hmm. rewarding and and giving part of it yeah 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 <laughs> I, I, no i i i'm with you i'm with you i <laughs> i love looking at things on reddit you know i don't go to ufo twitter i don't go to twitter at oh. all if i can help it um but on reddit there are these ufo uh communities and people talk about stuff and somebody was like lou elizondo is gonna get to the truth and i was like dude get comfortable with not knowing because you're not gonna know and neither is he and if he says he knows i don't know that you should trust Mm -hmm. that you know you should maybe just get comfortable with not knowing exactly what's happening. Um, I often quote uh, Keel with the belief, belief is the enemy, uh, because as soon as you believe a certain theory, uh, then you're going to find evidence to fit it. And then right when you think you know it exactly, because you've found this evidence, it's going to switch on you. Yeah. And it's going to give you other evidence. You know, Oh no. You know? I'd say <laughs> so. Don't 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 believe in the belief. Absolutely. I mean, it will. In in many cases, I'd say it will drive you mad and frustrated. This belief part, you know, because like you said, it will it will bullshit with you sooner or later. You know? mm-hmm. And yeah, oh, yeah, and I'm not. You know, I'm trying to be a, an open-minded, kind person. I don't want to bash on the UFO bros and the ET guys you know they they do their things but it's also kind of saddens me that i i mean i'm absolutely sure that they will never get an answer i'm you know maybe i'm it's silly of me but i i I, they will never see that gray body or that crashed ufo you know it, it won't happen you know it won't happen you know be you know but let them do their stuff but i'm you know i I've chosen a different path, you can say. Yeah, yeah. And that that's why I usually say something like, well, okay. Um, you know, 
this disclosure thing has been going on for 60 something years, guys. Yeah. We keep hearing about it. Um, maybe, you know, lower your expectations. You know, be happy that the government said, well, there is a thing and it's up there and we don't know what it is. That is really a big admission for them. And, you know, just just be happy with that and don't set your hopes up real high. You know, but but I say that about everything. <laughs> like, you know, I say that about things like the Barbie movie. It's like, oh, it's a Barbie movie. Don't put your, your hopes on that. You know, I didn't even want to see it until like the right wing guys are all like crying about it. <laughs> so, yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> if they're all upset about it, then it must be good. You know, so I'll have to see. You know, it I, I will watch it. I, I've decided to watch it. I will do it, you know, just for the sake of it. You know, I want to. If if I can provoke someone by going and see it, I will do it. But yeah, oh yeah, I know, you know right? <laughs> if I can upset somebody with it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one I really want to see is Oppenheimer, oh, yeah. and I'll so I'll see that because you know I've written uh, and had podcasts about the Trinity explosion for like a year now. So yeah, I have to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, Oppenheimer's not making people cry. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a perverse wish to irritate people to want to see it. I just actually want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so is there anything else you want to get across to to people about your book besides it's really really good? And uh, if any of you have read it, do put uh, a uh, review on Amazon mm -hmm. because it helps. Oh, yeah, it helps, definitely. You know, I, I think, I mean, a, a part of what I want to say with this book is that it's so important. I believe it's so, and I know that not everyone has the opportunity to do it, but I feel that I am going to sound like a hippie now, but connect to the nature, please. Go out in the forest, walk the fields, sit at the edges and look at deers and foxes. Uh, be with yourself or with someone else, but be quiet. <laughs> just, just, mm -hmm. just be there. Uh, and I've noticed, I've noticed that Every time I do that, I discover something new about myself or the world around, or I see details I've never seen before. Uh, and I, I, say, I mean, in, in this day and age, with information everywhere, it's a, like a tsunami of, of information and social media. And I'm not bashing it, really, but I'm just saying this is how it is. It's so good to just go out and be with the silence, to, to embrace it. Um, I mean... Yeah, I sound like a hippie, I know, but that's my, I think I get into it several times in the book, the silence, the nature, the, the, the calmness. Mm -hmm. I think it's so incredibly important, both if you want to experience something and if you want to know yourself. That's, yeah, okay, I'm sounding preachy here. I didn't mean to, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I kind of asked you to preach at the end, you know, I was like, is there anything else you want to say before I kick you off and, and we stop recording and 
everything. But no, I, I agree. There is no way I can disagree with that at all. I can't agree with it more. You were absolutely correct. Um, if we're going to find answers to anything, it's going to be by fitting ourselves into the ecosystem mm -hmm. that surrounds us. It's by experiencing it and essentially dialoguing with it without saying anything. Mm -hmm. um, most of my really formative experiences in my life were in the woods by myself. Well, okay, with three dogs, because I wasn't allowed to go out into the woods as a small child by myself unless I took all the dogs with me. So, um, and But they were helpful, and, and they did warn me if there was a snake nearby, so that, that was good. But, you know, just sitting and watching a small part of the forest, utterly still, and you will see things that little details of life and it's amazing and it's just awesome yeah it's such a wonderful universe we have uh including nature everything i mean it's yeah i totally agree with you i don't have anything to add to that <laughs> yeah well, thank you for coming in and talking with me. It was awesome. I've been chasing you around, but you've been working on this book. So, you know, finally, finally, I caught you. <laughs> I caught up to you. <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure. A super nice conversation. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy. I'm really happy that you liked the book. I mean, it's that to release, to publish a book, especially if you do it through someone else, uh, in this case, Beyond the Fray, you, it's, it's a, it's an, or, for me, as a little bit nervous person, it's an ordeal, kind of, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a mix of pure fear and terror and happiness, you know, and you're just waiting for, for those, I don't want to use the word judgment, but, you know, you, you want, you want, you, you want to know what people think, and still you, you're very, very afraid of it. <laughs> you know, you're afraid of those words. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. terrifying. That's You don't have to be anxious for that to be terrifying. That's just straight up yeah, terrifying. Yeah, so um, I've gotten a, a, I've seen a couple of really, really nice comments on it on Amazon. And I, yeah, like you said, if you read the book and like it, please write something there. It's, it's uh, very encouraging uh, both for, you know, I mean, honestly, I want this book to sell. I want to reach out with this book. I'm absolutely mm -hmm. with that because this is a book I worked with for a longer time and I happen to be very proud of it. Yeah. And honestly, there isn't a huge amount of material available to English speakers on Swedish high strangeness. I mean, we, we all know about the ghost rockets, which, you know, some people are like, Oh, it wasn't real. <laughs> Uh, it was the United States uh, military messing with the Russians, which I'm like, I think we should ask the Swedes about that. Mm? Don't yep. you think? Don't you think? Um, it's <laughs> you true. Know? But that's about the only thing. Maybe they'll they'll know the ghost flyers, which are those you know mysterious airplanes that flew over and then disappeared into clouds and didn't ever reappear. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's about all that anybody's gonna know. 
And I really think that this is extremely worthwhile and fun. <laughs> the other thing I noticed about your writing is you have a touch of the gonzo journalism in there. Not as much as, as John Keel, because he inserted himself in every one of his books. <laughs> like, it was almost autobiographical. <laughs> he would tell you how he felt or what he experienced at each stage of his research. And, and he had no problem with doing that. And in fact, his very last book, Disneyland of the Gods, is basically a screed. <laughs> about how awful the the experiences of the ufo phenomena high strangeness phenomena could be like these people are terrible <laughs> they don't care if they make you crazy and, and he he was right i mean by that point he was just cranky at everything and he just put it all in a book and there it is what i loved about yours is you would make some asides they were never obtrusive some of them were hilarious um and, and some of it was just you know you would say things like i was surprised to find this mm -hmm. you know and you kept us it it gave a sense of immediacy so i i, I really liked that part thank you thank you i'm blushing here so <laughs> all right well <laughs> I will, I will let you go with that. So you don't, you don't have to be like all like hiding. I don't like making people nervous. I'm not a stalker really, just because I've been chasing you down for an interview. I'm a really nice person. Anyway, thank you once more. Uh, Ed, you're always welcome back. If you ever feel like talking about anything, I, I am here to listen. Thank you, I will. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.